Good morning. Welcome to Oak Ridge Community Church. Glad that you guys are here with us today. We are going to continue uh, with our series, the Biblical Review. So at, here at Oak Ridge, we're in the midst of about a two-year series that we're going through the entire Bible, one book a week. Occasionally, we take a break when we finish one of the major divisions of Scripture, like we just finished the historical books. We take a break, and we, and we cover a topic which, that we call essential elements. So what are the essential elements, you ask? Glad you asked. Let's back up a step. I want to kind of review what we're doing, why we do it, and um, what an essential element is. So we're doing this tour of Scripture for two reasons. One, to understand the purpose of Scripture. And we re we've reviewed this chart before. The purpose of Scripture is, with me, if you say it with me, to... And to, right, and our purpose in relation to Scripture is, and, amen. So these essential elements, uh, they help us focus on one aspect of this purpose. This purpose of increasing our biblical literacy. So knowledge is a good thing. Literacy is knowledge. Knowledge is a good thing. Typically, though, when we talk about knowledge, we associate it with warnings. We associate, we don't, knowledge is good, but it can also lead to arrogance, especially in the area of spiritual things, if you're not careful. Paul wrote and said, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. The problem is, is that knowledge in our head doesn't necessarily speak to our heart condition. We can know a lot of things and still be pretty broken or messed up people on the inside. So we are also admonished to hear and obey the words of Jesus. Jesus said, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So these warnings and these admonitions about knowledge are real. And yet knowledge is a good thing. Biblical literacy is a good thing. And we have to understand as believers and those who seek God that the concept of knowledge and knowing his word and knowing about him and being in obedience to him, these things aren't in opposition to one another. They're not in conflict with one another. We're allowed to use our brains as believers. We should use our brains as believers. And these things, the concept of knowledge and intention, are, are the knowledge and obedience are in tension, not in conflict. So we have to have both, and we need to have a balance as his followers then we can have this balance. We can balance these things. You know why? Because we love God. And we are mature people that can think through things carefully. And we seek to please him. And we do manage to have this balance in other areas, don't we? So, for example, what is this? It's a knife. Exactly. Knife's cut, right? Are they dangerous? Right. Does that mean we never use them because, we, because they're dangerous? We never take them out of the protective sheath? No, that's, that's not what happens. We know how to use it. We know how, to, we know how to keep it sharp. We know how to store it carefully. And it is a very effective tool in our lives, whether it's in the kitchen or yard or whatever it might be. You need to be trained to use something like a knife. And you need to be careful when you handle the knife the same thing, and Hebrews itself compares Scripture to an edged weapon. Hebrews 4.12 says, The Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. 
And Scripture also says that we must be able to accurately handle the Word of God. This is why we need to have the tension between knowledge and, and obedience. The balance point, then, is accuracy and, and knowledge and obedience. We need to develop this skill. So that's why we take the time in the midst of our sermon series to cover some of these topics about the Bible. Even though it's not the Bible, it's not a Bible story, it's, it's information, it's knowledge, it's context about the Bible. So let's increase our balance, let's increase our skill by understanding some key concepts. So the essential elements, these, this list on the, on the slide ahead of you, these are the essential elements that we're covering in our series. These are the six topics that we're going to cover during our two-year um, review. We're, there's others you could include, but we had to make some cuts. We had to combine some things for the sake of our message flow. And like you, in fact, I'd like to encourage you, go back and listen to the, very, the excellent messages that Brian Racer shared several months ago on inspiration and authority. So these words, these, these, these topics, these six things, they, sometimes they can tend to run, to run together in my head. And if you're, not, if you're not used to thinking about this or talking about this, these topics can seem like what's the difference between each one of them? Why are they important? So what I've done here, maybe what you have on your note sheet, is I've come up with what I thought are short, clarifying phrases, hopefully memorable phrases, to help us have sort of a, a shorthand for, for what these things are. So the first one we, we, cover, we covered um, last year was inspiration, which means scripture is God-breathed. Scripture is from God. The authority of scripture, which means we must obey what's in the Bible. We obey his word. And there's scripture passages you can look up. There's tons more, believe me. Um, the one we will focus on a little bit later today is inerrancy, which means God's Bible, his word speaks the truth. Sufficiency, which we'll have in the months ahead, means it's enough for salvation. The Bible is enough for us to know God and to be saved through Jesus Christ. The concept of canonicity means there's specific things that are included in the Bible. I can't write a really awesome poem and, um, have it and, and tape it into my Bible and have it be authoritative. There are specific things that are included in the Bible that are the topic of millennia worth of study among uh, the church. And last but not least is the concept of clarity, which means the Bible speaks clearly, and we need to learn how to interpret the Bible clearly, whether it's speaking in plain language, it's using prophetic language, using allegorical language, just parables, different things. It's important to know those things. So those, that's the overview of what we're going to cover over the course of our, our essential elements, and it's important that this is part of our understanding and knowledge of the Bible. So being able to understand these things being, they will, this will help give us the skill and the knowledge that we have to answer some questions about the Bible. Uh, questions like, is it real? Is what I'm reading real? Is the content of what I'm reading, is it real? And is it worthy of honor? And for the concept of real and worthy of honor, I have, a, I have an example here. So something that's real, or whether we'll have a little exercise here to see what things are real and what's worthy of honor. So what is this piece of paper I'm holding in my hand? Anyone want to yell it out? It's funny money. It's Monopoly, it's monopoly money. It's a, it's a $500 Monopoly paper, right? So if I do this to this Monopoly money, does this cause anybody any sort of distress? I hope not. So another example, maybe a little bit more real. 
So this I have in my hand right now is a 10-pound note with Queen Elizabeth on it. It's real. We got this on our trip home from Europe a couple weeks ago. Um, but this is, a ten, this is an English-UK 10-pound note. And uh, I've been assured by my friend Julian that if I tried to rip it, I probably couldn't because of the paper it's made of. But as people that don't use English pounds, if I were to rip this up, how would that make you feel? It'd be sort of a curiosity, right? It's like, yeah, I mean, it seems kind of wasteful, but whatever. You can't spend it. I can't take it to, you can't take it to McDonald's and get money or anything like that. But let me say this. Try this one on for size. This is real American $50 bill. So if I were to pretend, if I were to act like I'm going to rip this in half, there's probably some people here that would want to rush the stage and say, what the heck are you doing? That is stupid, and it's a federal crime. So I am not going to do that, I assure you. But the point of it is, is there's different things which have different degrees of reality to us and different degrees of meaning. And even the, the subtlety of English currency being real but not really meaningful to me is something we have to take into account when we have things that speak authoritatively into our life. Here's another example of something that's meaningful or, or maybe not meaningful. So I've got some books here that I brought in to share. So this first book is, and this probably dates me a little bit, this is a Calvin and Hobbes cartoon book, right? Calvin and Hobbes is awesome. Um, if I were to say to you, you need to obey this book, <laughs> you would probably say, what are you talking about? It doesn't even make any sense to obey this book. But it's interesting. Another book I have here is, um, this is a history book. And it's, uh, it's, it's about the King Richard I who lived in the 12th century. It's the sort of nerdy stuff that I love to read about. And it's very interesting. So if I were to say to you, this is the absolute authoritative statement on King Richard I, what would you say? Eh, maybe. I know a lot more about the author and what he was doing and if he's correct. And, and uh, also, I wouldn't tell you, obey this book. And you'd say, what am I supposed to obey about this? But it's, it's a good book. There's nothing wrong with it. It has different levels of value. Here's another book. Actually, two at the same time. These are getting a little closer to the goal of what we're talking about. This is The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. It's an amazing book. It's a well-written, detailed allegory of what Christ did for us, how he died and suffered. It's written by one of the 20th century's premier theologians. Quality stuff. This is Systematic Theology by Wayne Grudem, also an awesome book. So if I were to tell you, obey these books, you maybe start to have a little bit of an inkling. Okay, well, maybe there's something I can admire in this. Maybe there's something that I can um, apply to my, my, my life. Maybe there's something that is helpful in this. But you wouldn't say, this is my final authority. And as amazing as C.S. Lewis is, we wouldn't say this is our final authority. We would admire him for pointing us to God, but we wouldn't say this is our final authority. Now, this is New International Version Holy Bible. So you see we're escalating this time after time after time. All these books are helpful, useful, entertaining. They, some of them even point us to God. And if I say to you, obey this book, you know what I'm talking about. I can say to you, this is not my opinion. Thus saith the Lord. This book is not like the other ones. 
and it's worthy as Beth was talking about it, as William Tyndale died. He invested his entire life and died because he believed this book is authoritative and it's worth obeying. So these having these differences in perspective help us understand the Bible is real and it's also meaningful and it commands our obedience like nothing else in our lives. Okay, with that context laid, this is why we do the essential elements. We're going to basically scratch the surface today of what the concept, the third topic is the concept of inerrancy. So inerrancy, that God's word speaks truth. Inerrant means without error. It means without error, the Bible speaks truth. It is a very high standard, one that we may take for granted and one that the world attacks frequently. Here's a formal definition from Grudem's Systematic Theology I just showed you a minute, a minute ago. The inerrancy of Scripture means that Scripture, in the original language, does not affirm anything that is contrary to fact. Kind of inverts the language a little bit and says it in the reverse, but it's the same thing. The Bible speaks truth about God, history, and faith, not opinion. If I say, here's what God is like, you may listen to me, and you may think that's interesting, and you may hear echoes of truth in there, but I can't say, take what I say and what I mean as the absolute measure. Unless I point you back to Scripture, you always have to doubt, and you always have to check what I'm saying. But the Bible, in the inerrancy of Scripture, says God, the Bible speaks truth about God, history, and faith. So there's a definition from man. So here's a definition from Scripture, which we should have been waiting for. Psalm 119, 160. All your words are true. All your righteous laws are eternal. All your words are true. Meditate on that for a moment. This is the psalmist praying to God, praising God, recognizing what Scripture is and how valuable it is. 160 verses. There's like, that Psalm 119 is an amazing tribute to God's word. All your words are true. This should be an easy scripture to memorize. If you have a goal to memorize scripture, I'd maybe start here. Lord, all your words are true. Thank you for that. Help me to act on that. Let's take a closer look at the definition we looked at before. So the scripture in the original languages. Another way of saying scripture in the original language is to say autographs. And autographs is not meaning that I sign a baseball card or, or, or um, a comic book or something like that with my name. Autograph means it's the, it's the original piece of paper, document, whatever was written thousands of years ago that is scripture. So scripture in the original languages is without error. We have, uh, there is a whole field of study on how scripture is passed down to us over the centuries. Scripture was written over the period of about from 2,000 years ago to about 1,500 years before that. And there is a science and a technique um, of how that scripture was preserved over time, which we can't go into, but there's tons of good resources on that. Inerrancy, the concept of inerrancy, the fact that we look at how scripture was preserved and how it was written in the original languages, it acknowledges that the, there is the men that wrote these words on a piece of paper or a piece of vellum 
or whatever it was they wrote it on, they were influenced by their own culture. They were influenced by their own life circumstances, and they were influenced by their own character. They're real people living in real circumstances that wrote as God inspired them. The influence of the Holy Spirit, so God through the Holy Spirit, influenced these men to record his writings accurately centuries ago, millennia ago at this point. It was not, not only in the idea of the facts that they wrote and the circumstances that they described, but also in the terms of prophecy that he gave to them to predict what was happening in the future. So another concept of inerrancy is that the authors used everyday language, normal language for their culture, whether it was Hebrew or Aramaic or whatever it might have been, Greek at the time. They wrote it without any intention to deceive. One of the attacks is that people wrote the Bible with a view to the future, trying to twist things around to make, th to make their theological point. That is not true. They wrote as God inspired them. They wrote what God was telling them. And they wrote accurately what was going on around them. They wrote history as they saw it. They wrote history as they saw it. Ezra saw the Hebrew people suffering in Babylon. And he wrote what it looked like when they returned. Paul saw and advanced the gospel through the Mediterranean. He, he wrote it as he saw it. Others alongside of him as well. They recorded faith as they experienced it. They recorded the Ten Commandments, uh, the restoration of Israel. They, re they recorded, most importantly, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The keynote, the center point of the Bible in the, New, is, in the New Testament is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the most important aspect of what was recorded in the Bible. The, the inerrancy of Scripture also acknowledges that the Bible is not a science textbook. It's not a recipe book. It's not a satellite-generated map of the world. But it is something that, unless it's clearly stated otherwise, that you're looking at an allegory or something that's symbolic inside of Scripture, it's intended that we take those words of Scripture as a fact. Now, there are some attacks on this concept. And we hear these a lot in our culture, in our education, government, different places. Some of the attacks on scripture, some of the attacks on inerrancies, that God's word is not inerrant. The first one, the, one of the biggest blanket attacks is just a materialist assumption of the world. What's a materialist assumption? A materialist assumption is a denial of the unseen, a denial of the supernatural, an atheist worldview. There's nothing outside of what you can see, feel, hear, and touch. Someone comes to any religious aspect, and especially the Bible, they're going to deny the miraculous aspects of Scripture. There is also one of the attacks is a premise of errors and contradictions in the Bible, to which the best way to respond to that and to, and to interact with that is to ask, what error are you talking about? What contradiction are you talking about? And it's good to invite questions. I'm sure, for example, on Thursday nights when Lifeline and the, and the college group is on campus at UMBC, if they get someone to stop long enough to listen to them, they're probably going to ask them some tough questions. And they're probably the 
47 billionth time these questions have been asked. And it's good we should encourage people to ask these questions. It's okay for unbelievers, people that don't understand Bible, don't know Jesus Christ, it's okay for them to ask questions. We should welcome that. It's also okay for us to ask questions too. If we have doubts or, or different things that we're wondering about or don't understand yet, you should feel completely comfortable asking questions because there are answers for them. These, these, these questions have been asked timeless, countless times over the centuries. Part of the point of literacy, part of the point of the knowledge that we're equipping ourselves with here is to engage our brain, understand some of the objections, and then be able to answer them. All of our questions have been asked in previous centuries. Another attack on inerrancy is a concept called anachronism. So what's anachronism? Anachronism means imposing things from one historical error, era on another. Imposing things on one historical era from another. It mostly occurs in when modern people impose their values on older cultures. It's usually very selective and used to justify some sinful act that the people in modern cultures are trying to justify. Romans are racist. Romans had slaves. Romans were misogynist. Whatever, you pick something. We look at what happened in the past centuries through our own lens. We judge these people and say, whatever they, we're right, they're wrong. We're more advanced. They are retrograde, and we don't have to listen to them for that, for that effect. And I guess you could say, if you really want to be strictly fair in a logical sense, that the Bible is guilty of anachronism too, but it goes the other way. Scripture in the Bible is anachronistic looking forward. The Bible is imposing, God is imposing his moral system on future generations. That means that you must choose. The Bible and morality and Christ versus our modern virtues, which sometimes include things like genocide, immorality, and idolatry. It's interesting that all of the things that we try to justify by judging the past, our modern faults, the things that we see that we hate about this world right now, whatever you want to call it, murder, hatred, intolerance, violence, all these things, all of our modern faults would have been clearly apparent in the ancient world. And the irony is the modern attacks, the modern rejects of Scripture, the modern re rejection of the Bible, it's really, it's nothing new. It's really just repackaged paganism. So I encourage you, make your choice. Make your choice. Which way will your anachronism lead? Forwards or backwards? Will we impose our brokenness on the past and on scripture, or we allow scripture to impose its guidelines, its good news on us. I choose the Bible. I choose Jesus. I encourage you to do the same thing. You should choose scripture. You should choose the message that God gives us that leans forward. One final observation here before we conclude. I couldn't help notice symmetry in the book of John about um, Scripture and Jesus, who he was. Jesus, in his own words, in three separate passages in the book of John, he said, but in the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, 
John chapter 1, verse 1. Jesus said, I am the truth, John 14, 6. And he said a little later on, thy word is truth. In the beginning was the word, I am the truth, thy word is truth. Jesus is the word. Jesus is the truth. His word is truth. This concept of how this comes together in the person of Jesus Christ is also worth our meditation. So I'd like to do, give you a little bit of homework. I saw some of you making notes on the front of that sheet. If you flip it over, it's the same exact worksheet. Two things. One, take that, take that worksheet home if you don't mind. Fill in those blanks again. And even this challenge for you. Some of you may say, ah, oh, you didn't quite get that definition right, David. Great. I, I accept that. I encourage you, come up with something that helps you remember these concepts. And remember that these are tools in your toolbox to use and understand and, and to strike that balance between knowledge and obedience. If you come up with a better, better definition, please share it with me. Also, if you'd like suggested reading on these topics, very complex topics, very smart people have uh, taken a lot of time to write about these things. Come, come check with me. I'd be glad to give you some reading material. Check with Pastor Dave. Check with Brian Racer. Anybody that's taken our GCL, um, program, GCLI program would also be able to give you some very excellent reading material. So in conclusion, your assignment is, in addition to being committed to obeying the Bible, we need to understand essential elements of Scripture we need to be able to balance the requirements of knowledge and obedience. This is especially true if you have any aspirations to teach God's word. Some of you may think, oh, you know what? I, I really want to share this truth or that truth with the people around me. If that's the case, if that's your instinct, man or woman, you have a desire to share God's truth with the people around you. That's awesome. I, I want to fan that flame in you. But I also want to challenge you you need to know what you're talking about. You need to take the time to develop the skill and the knowledge and the balance between knowledge and obedience. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. We can talk about your word from now until we die and not exhaust it, Father. We um, bow our hearts in obedience like the psalmist did, saying your word is truth, it's eternal. Um, I pray that my heart will be soft towards your word. I pray that I would be hungry for your word like Beth was talking about a little earlier, God. I pray you prepare us as we get ready to dive into the poetic books and continue to see what your message is to us. Just lift up all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.